Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasilla from Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group, and I'm joined by my colleague and friend, uh, Dr. Peter Bagshaw, GP and Somerset Clinical Lead for Mental Health. And we're really pleased to be joined today by our guest, Sarah Cherry. Sarah, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Yeah, of course. Hi, everyone. Um, so I'm the Health and Wellbeing and Volunteers Manager at Yeovil Hospital. That's great. And our topic today, our title today for Mental Health Awareness Week is Loneliness and its Antidote. So if we just explore loneliness first, because it's a really big topic. Um, Peter, what does loneliness mean to you? Well, I suppose I have a particular point of view on it. And I've come to it really through my work in dementia, where we know that loneliness is has these real physical effects so of course it, it's upsetting and there's all the psychological elements to it, but it actually is something that also increases our risk of dementia by between a quarter and a third. And I've seen figures saying that it increases our risk of heart attack. So there's something physical going on with loneliness, which, you know, with my medical background, I find really interesting. What about you, Andrew? You probably are more in touch with the, the psychological side of it, aren't you? Well, that's that's interesting. I think if we sort of think about the that loneliness is a state of mind when we feel disconnected from other people or from what matters to us, from what we value in life. And we've developed over millions of years as mammals, as social creatures. We are social creatures. And one of the things that social creatures do is that they have connection. And we have all sorts of emotions and cues and states, which are actually states that help us connect with other people. Um, so loneliness is is when we feel disconnected and when we're alone. Sarah, what would you like to add to that about uh, thinking about loneliness as a concept? Um, yeah, I agree. Um, obviously, I, I'm not an expert, but I can talk from my own sort of personal um, knowledge. Um, and that's, you, you can be in a room full of people, but you're, if you're not connected to them, you can still feel quite lonely. And um, there can be lots of stuff happening around you. Um, but you're not a part of it, so to speak. So loneliness can take on lots of different sort of shapes and forms, but um, it's about connecting with somebody, I think, uh, you know, from my point of view. I think that's a really important point that you make, uh, Sarah, and it's it's fascinating now. We all have the ability to connect through digital devices, assuming that we we're, uh, have that, uh, and yet we can still feel incredibly lonely, can't we? Is, is that a bit of an odd paradox? Can you unpack that for us um yes so um for instance look at social media you can have like so many different followers on there even hundreds some people even have thousands but actually are you actually connected to any of them on a on a personal level um so for me um obviously working in the hospital I've got the health and well-being hat but I've also got the volunteering hat um, and obviously when hospital visiting was um, stood down because of the pandemic, loneliness was obviously quite a large issue that a lot of the patients were encountering, um, not being able to see people that they're connected to. And volunteering is a, a fascinating topic, isn't it? Because it not only helps the people uh, that the volunteers are intending to help, but a theme that's emerged from these podcasts is that volunteering helps reduce loneliness in the volunteers and helps their mental health as well. Is, is that something that you see? 
Um, I do. I do. And in fact, I've just done um, a training course literally just before this call. Um, and um, it was regarding suicide. In fact, so it's suicide awareness training. Um, and they mentioned about um, people of retirement age potentially being at risk because it's all about the loss of something. So once they retire, they've lost their routine. They've lost their networks potentially that they'll see on a day to day um, basis. Um, and that can increase their loneliness and potential risk of suicide. So I see a lot of people in the hospital that are volunteers that have come in because they need something. They It's their way of getting to meet lots of different people, getting to have that connectivity with people. Um, but also it, it gives them a purpose. And I think that's something that's really important too. You're right, Sarah. We all need a purpose in life. And just... I've just looked at, uh, just checked on the Mind uh, website, mind.org.uk, and they've got a really interesting section on loneliness. And uh, uh, it's about loss, as you were quite rightly saying. So a bereavement, a relationship breakup, retiring and losing the social contact you had at work, changing jobs or feeling isolated from your co-workers, maybe starting at university or maybe moving to a new area or country without family or friends or community, or certain times of the year. Um, and Christmas is a time, for instance, when a lot of us feel connected. But if you don't feel connected or if you don't have a connection, you can feel incredibly lonely. So there's there's both environmental causes and time causes and, and situational causes that can help us uh, or put us into that state of loneliness. Can I just tease out something with you? Um, we're connected so easily through social media, through the internet, through computer. Um, and that's an information connection. So at one level, it's a head-to-head -head connection. And I suppose we can have a head-to-head -head connection with somebody else, but feel quite distant. Is there a difference between a head-to-head -head connection and a heart-to-heart -heart connection? What would, you, what would you say to that thought and that concept? And is that, which, is that yeah. Please. Um, yeah, I think it's 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 the levels. I, I mean, again, I'm just this is just on my own personal thoughts. I've got no necessary no evidence or anything behind it, but I would say a heart to heart connection is obviously a lot deeper, and you're a lot more invested in that relationship. So whether it's a, a friendship or or an actual, you know, um, family member or husband or wife, it's for me, it's a lot more a lot more intense when it's a heart-to-heart -heart connection rather than a head-to-head. -head. Yes. And I'm, I'm sorry, Peter, I, would, I wasn't meaning necessarily a, an intense romantic relationship. I was just meaning really connecting with the other person. So we listen actively, we hear what we're saying, and we understand them. And you, you, know, you feel understood, you feel supported, as it were. And so that's what I was trying to sort of get to uh, with a heart-to-heart -heart connection. Um, Peter? Yes. And Adding to the things that can uh, contribute to loneliness, of course, we've had this exceptional couple of years with lockdown, and I've seen some really startling figures. Uh, about 70% of people have felt lonely uh, most or all of the time during the, the initial stages of lockdown, which is staggering. And we know that as a result of that, mental health problems have gone up by about a third, and, and sadly, uh, suicide's also gone up slightly. And it, you were mentioning about people retiring it, it sadly the uptick has been in in older males so they've lost that connection so 
here we are hearing about loneliness and loss of connection. So it's loss of what's important to us and loss can tip us into feeling alone uh, and separate from other people rather than feeling connected. So what, 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 what answers could there be, I wonder? What, what, what ways around it? So from um, my role as health and wellbeing lead at Yeovil Hospital, I looked at different ways. Obviously, we were aware of the pandemic and the isolation that people were feeling, the pressures on the hospital um, and the stress obviously increasing. We did things, um, we do a wellbeing pulse survey. And in that survey, it identified the increase in stress levels amongst our staff. Um, whether that was professionally or personally. So we looked at what, what kind of offers that were out there and uh, we decided to cr- create a few wellbeing clubs. And the first one I set up was the YDH netball team. Um, and this was, um, I chose netball because obviously within Somerset, there is quite a large amount of netball teams. And I know one of the barriers to people joining those teams is that um, they don't feel like they're going to be good enough to join they haven't played netball since school age um but it was something that they knew that they got a lot of fun out of and that's exactly how I felt I I used to play netball at school really enjoyed it played it about 14 years ago for for a few weeks but then found out I was expecting my my eldest daughter so I had to step down because although netball is a non-contact sport that is quite physical and can be quite contacty at times um, so I thought to myself, actually, a netball team would be an ideal first club because obviously predominantly the numbers of staff in the hospital are female. So they will have netball as a as a background potentially. But we did make sure that it was open to everybody. However, it has been taken up by all females. I put some feelers out there in um, on, on our closed half and wellbeing Facebook group. And actually, there was a lot of interest in it. So much so in our first session, we had 14 people turn up and you only need seven people for a team. Um, So this was brilliant. It was really um, exciting. And in fact, it's actually grown to having a membership of around 25 with um, other places such as um, doctor surgeries and um, other trusts wanting to get involved. But at the moment, capacity is kind of at, at what we can do. But we're moving outdoors soon. What a great initiative. And just, just to give our listeners some context, so how many people work at Yeovil Hospital and what's what's the, the background of people? Are they all from Somerset or, or is it all female in the NHS or, or what? So there's around um, 1,200 staff at YDH, um, 12 to 1,300. Uh, predominantly, they're female, but they're not necessarily um, all white female. We do have a lot of um, overseas staff that come over too. So they, we have had a couple of people that have come that have never played netball ever before, um, and they wanted to come along and find out a little bit more about it and what they can do. Um, there is, I can't, I can't tell you the percentages because I don't know them off the top of my head, but um, the age ranges um, quite considerably, and that reflects within the netball team as well. We've got. Um, people in their early 20s up to people in their sort of late 40s um, and it's it's a really good level playing field as as we hear um it i asked for some feedback the other day from the netball team because um i wanted to sort of be able to grow and improve it and one of the comments that came out i'm paraphrasing here but was that no matter what level you are within the hospital coming along to the netball team is all a complete level playing field um, and it gives people the opportunity to meet 
so many different staff members who work at the same place as them. I love the pun level playing field, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm I'm curious to know what other uh, initiatives you've had. I know, for instance, there are quite a few hospitals that have set up choirs. And from personal experience, I find being in a choir is a fantastic way to connect with people. You're all working towards the same same objective. And there are lots of community choirs where you don't have to be, uh, you know, have a fantastic voice. Uh, is that something you've considered or are you looking at other other things apart from netball? Um, so we've concentrated quite a lot on the physical because we know there's a lot of emotional support out there for staff now. Um, so we've got, we've launched a running club. Um, there was already a football club in existence. So I've been promoting that. Um, and our first walking club begins um, on the 8th of May. Um, so we're trying to be able to offer lots of different levels of physical support for, for staff physical well-being clubs for staff I should say but a choir is something that we have considered and before the pandemic they did actually we did used to have a choir that would sing that was made up of hospital staff that would sing within the hospital to the patients on a on a set day at Christmas time um but obviously with the rules with Covid and being able to sing together and things that all got, got paused however that is something that we will be looking at in the future. But as there's only myself and Megan currently in the team, it's um, we have to sort of take our our opportunities when we can and, and build on that. And David has uh, suggested a film club, a book club. David Seeley, our producer, uh, is that again? That sounds a good idea. Is that something you would contemplate? Yeah, there is a book club um, in existence that that was set up before I started in the role. And obviously, you're talking about. Um, what goes on in hospital. But I think it's worth mentioning that all of these sort of initiatives are happening all across Somerset, aren't they? I'm I'm well aware of lots of walking groups, um, talking cafes, things like that. There are lots and lots of things out there. So what you're doing is being replicated out there. And I think, Andrew, you're particularly interested in the what you often call the largest men's shed in Somerset, the, uh, the steam railway. Absolutely. So um, there's something about being together. There's something about talking, but there's something about doing things together. And we don't always want prolonged eye contact with people. Um, but it's it's nice to just have that ability to 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 do things. And it is a stereotype that uh, men won't talk in the same way as women. And it is a stereotype, and it's not entirely true at all. But they found in the economic crisis in Ireland that. That men would not talk about their troubles, and so tragically there were there were a number of deaths from that. And so they introduced men's sheds, sheds, which are are places where men can come together to do some workshop activity or something like that. Um, it, what it's not just doing an activity. We can get the same experience when we're actually on a journey with somebody in a car because you're not having to look at them. It was found that men won't sit and look at each other and talk to each other. But if they're doing something together, so if any of us are working on a steam engine on the West Somerset Railway or, or going on the trains or, or anything like that, it's uh, or, or, or as the other activities, Sarah, that you were mentioning, the walking club and others, it's, it's that doing together, that connection from shared purpose, you mentioned purpose earlier, shared uh, experiences and a satisfaction of completing tasks um, together. So it, it brings us together, and that brings us back to uh, what we were mentioning about emotional logic earlier on, that loneliness occurs when we're disconnected from that feeling and that joy of humanity, of, of being together. Whether we're extroverts or whether we're introverts, we're all social creatures, and, 
and benefit from that connection. So it's it's really interesting how social media, we've got it, but we can feel alone on social media or we can feel alone in a crowd. I don't know if either of you have ever had that experience of feeling lonely or alone in a crowd or you know anyone who has. I certainly have. And I'd, I'd also mention the opposite, that if you're connected, say, with nature, then even if you're not physically there with other people, that can seem to help prevent loneliness. And I'd also mention pets. I have loads and loads of patients who may live alone, uh, but they get huge emotional support from, from their cats or dogs. So it doesn't have to be human to human, does it? I don't know what you think about that, Sarah. I'm a massive pet fan. I've recently um, adopted a dog after having three years without having a dog. Um, and the difference it, it's made to myself and my children's well-being is incredible. I mean, she she sat behind me um, snoring away. But it's just having that when the children are away, for instance, they were away with their dad for a week. And it was the first time that I'd, I'd had Mabel whilst they'd been away and it was just that opportunity to have that connection with a dog I mean she doesn't talk back to me but obviously she hears a lot of chatter from myself um and it just makes a big difference I think to an individual's individual's well-being but it's having um it's having that connection I think as well like we've said so it doesn't necessarily have to be a physical thing it's having somebody hear you and understand what you're what you're talking about um so yesterday was actually our first um peer support group for um, a menopause, um, our menopausal staff, men people that are experiencing it, or whether they want to know a little bit more about it. Um, and that was really successful. And actually, that I think made people feel a little bit less lonely that they're in this kind of boat on their own when it comes to the menopause. And I think it might be helpful to um, just add in a few uh, formal support services, as well as the, the wonderful work that you've been doing. So um, I'm sure we, we've all got a few things in our head. Um, I'm aware of Silverline, for instance, for older people who are lonely. Um, and of course, we've got our own Somerset Mindline for anyone suffering any sort of loneliness or, or mental distress. Andrew, I, I'm sure you've got a few as well, haven't you? Um, I was just going to come in with the phone number, 01823 um, I, hope, I hope I've got that right. I think that's right for the Somerset Mind Line. Um, we've got Somerset Activity and Sports uh, Partnership. That's sasp.co.uk. Uh, and, of course, for Mental Health Awareness Week, there's a great deal of information on uh, mentalhealth.org.uk about the week and also mental openmentalhealth.org.uk. Um, um, so there is lots of resources around to help us connect. Just going back to that disconnection that we can have, and, and I'm thinking about mobile phones, and um, some of our listeners will, will know that Jack Vetriano piece of art where two uh, lovers are embracing, but actually they're not looking into each other's eyes. They're embracing with one arm, and in the other hand, behind the other person's head, they're holding their mobile phone. So each of them are actually physically holding each other, but they're, they're looking, their attention is on the phone. So perhaps what I was saying about heart and head connection before is actually more about attention. Are we paying attention to the other person as well as having shared goals and, and shared aims? And it's just slightly ironic uh, that. Go, going back to the emotional logic, the thing that first disconnects us is shock. 
when we have a loss, whether it's a bereavement, uh, whether we retire or whether we have other losses. Uh, and then there is a logical process for going through uh, and reconnecting with our humanity as we go through those stages of, of shock and then denial and then anger, uh, guilt, uh, bargaining, maybe the low state of depression and acceptance. And all of those, um, the developers of emotional logic, and I think we had Marion on with us recently on a podcast talking about it, all of those are preparation states to help us get back to connect with our humanity. So maybe one of the antidotes is, is reconnection with humanity. And Sarah, you're giving us some great examples of that. Yeah, um, it's, it's really exciting that we as, um, as an organisation are able to support our staff with these um, methods of being able to connect with other staff members. Um, and as Peter said, there are lots of organisations out there, but sometimes it's taking that step in order to be brave enough to go somewhere where you don't know anyone, whereas things like the netball and the running, et cetera, people come with a colleague. And because it's only open to our staff, it's not open to friends and family, it's, it feels like a safe space for them. And then it creates the connectivity. Um, so much so, netball, for instance, we're actually, there's a few of us going up, um, to watch the Commonwealth game netball match in July and it gives us that opportunity to go further than just the sport and the physical element and the team building side of things it, it gives us that social connectivity um, and that's really positive from my perspective. And coming back to something you were saying earlier Andrew and that's that's really interesting Sarah um, you mentioned about active listening so I don't know Sarah if you have a view on this for me it's incredibly important that you can be in the room with somebody and they're talking and it's just kind of passing you by because you're looking at your mobile phone. Uh, but if you actively listen, um, which can be hard work, it's what we do as GPs. Um, and it's the difference between having music just floating around in the background and paying attention to what's going on in the music. Is, is this something that you think is important? Um, can I add on there, Peter? I think active listening is important. We'll come to Sarah in a sec on that. But um, I'd say that it's not just necessarily things floating by you. There's something called competitive listening. And I suspect many of us from childhood on become competitive listeners, by which I mean we're waiting for a, a gap so that we can say what we want to say. So we're we're not actually even listening to the other person. We're looking for the gap. Um Whereas that active listening is founded on respect uh, for the other person, for another human being, and respect helps us connect. And so I'm sure active listening is, is important. Sarah? No, it's, it's massively important because it's not just hearing what a person's saying, it's being able to see what they're not saying as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm a big advocate for active, active listening. But also what you were saying about people waiting for a gap to then say their points, um, that's where it leads to people talking over each other and then nobody's hearing anybody at all. So they're not. Um, so from my point of view, active listening is a very important and also a difficult skill for some people. Um, so it's, it's something that develops over time, I would say, in practice. And we've mentioned that uh, social media it can be a bit of a two-edged sword. Um, we perhaps ought to mention picture this which is uh, helps people in later life who are experiencing digital exclusion uh, through creative projects, bringing people together. 
And it's delivered by the Mental Health Foundation. Um, and it responded to the, the COVID Foundation when it recognised that many people are digitally excluded. So uh, an interesting thing, if people want to look up, uh, picture this, then then that, that will take them to the, the relevant links. You ah, Do you know about this, Sarah? No, I don't. But um, the um, older people being excluded from digital um, platforms, I think, so where I mentioned about patients being lonely on hospital wards, one of the initiatives that um, we set up as the volunteers team was the virtual visits. So for those patients who didn't have access to a device, who didn't know how to use WhatsApp, for instance, they were then able to connect with their relatives by having a virtual visit booked that our volunteers would then go and facilitate the call with. And I think that is something. So although social media and digital can be difficult uh, in isolating you in, at times, actually, there are ways that it can be beneficial in bringing people together too. Yes. And uh, one of the things I would uh, uh, say that through this pandemic, I've moved to largely working from home and I've been privileged to be involved with the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing podcast and, and a number of other projects. Uh, thank you, our producer, David, and thank you, uh, co-host Peter. Um, and there are lots of us who may have only met once or twice physically or others who we've never met. And we've actually made some very strong connections, both through the podcast and through the various initiatives that we're doing in Somerset. So it's quite fascinating. Uh, and I think that all involves all the skills of, of, of connection, of active listening and, and respect and, and shared purpose. So all of those things coming together. I'd absolutely endorse that, Andrew. So Sarah, as we're coming to the end, if, if, People are feeling lonely. What advice would you give them? What would be the top tips for people who are experiencing loneliness? Well, now that's difficult. Um, but from my perspective, I would um, definitely recommend maybe taking that first step. If there's something you've thought about, you wish you'd, you were doing, or if you, you know, whether that's joining a gym class so you're with people, whether that's joining, like you say, a walking club or a reading club or a choir, take that first step and reach out um, and just remember that there's there are people out there that are feeling exactly the same as you. Sarah, you've just actually described a number of the things that are part of five well ways to well-being and the website is five ways to wellbeing.org or, or on the mind website. And those five ways are connect, be active, take notice, give uh, and learn. And I think if you are involved in a netball club or any of the other activities you're involved with, probably all five of those are activated. So what a great recipe. Definitely. Thank you very much for coming and joining us. That's absolutely great. Um, so we've talked about loneliness. And the great thing about loneliness is that there is an antidote. And the antidote is connection. And there are multiple ways in which we can connect. We have to have the confidence to do so, have a bit of initiative and encouragement. but it can yield results. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.